Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. One of the most fascinating aspects of Bible prophecy in the return of Jesus Christ is what is called the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Politicians talk about a new world order, but they can't establish a new world order. The true new world order that is coming is when Jesus returns to this earth and establishes his kingdom. Well, what will the world be like when Christ returns? How will it be different? What will it be like when Jesus reigns and the world is in a state of righteousness and peace? When we return to the state of perfection, as we see in the Garden of Eden, well, the Word of God gives us glimpses of the new world order in eternity when Jesus returns. First of all, it tells us that governments will honor God. The nations of the world will be governed by Christ. The Word of God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that God will bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. The headship of Christ means he has all authority. Remember he said in Matthew 28 and 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in John 5 and 28 and 29, he said that God had given him the authority to judge because he is the son of man. He is the Messiah, the savior of the world. So everything in heaven and on earth will be under the headship or the lordship or the governance of Jesus Christ. Think how orderly Everything will be under his reign. Zechariah says the same thing when he gives us this prophecy. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 9. And Paul the apostle, I believe, expounds on that in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. It says that God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. And here Zechariah tells us the Lord will be king over the whole earth, and his name, the only name of authority, the name of Jesus. The book of Revelation tells us about how the governments of the world will be in submission to the authority of Jesus. Revelation, we read, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever, Revelation eleven fifteen, That verse appears in Handel's Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Think of that, when Christ returns, Think of the political rest and peace and unity we'll have under the reign of Jesus Christ. He shall reign forever and forever. Second of all, not only will governments be under his reign, but the Bible tells us in the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns and God restores the world that the environment will be clean and safe. We're all concerned about the condition of the environment. We hear about global issues of climate and pollution. We all want a clean 
safe environment because it affects the quality of our lives. And we take a lot of steps toward that, but the fact of the matter is that we've done a lot of damage to the environment. And this world is also a broken, fallen world. And there are natural disasters as well that we have no control over. We can't control everything in the climate. We can't change the climate. We can take care of it. But only God can change it. Only God can control the climate and the environment. He expects us to take good care of it, keep it clean and safe as good stewards. But people that think they can control the climate or change the climate by a few political policies are greatly deluded. We've got to do our part to take care of it and trust God. We're not in charge of the world. But when Jesus returns, the environment is going to be restored to its natural order. Not the way it is today under the effects of sin and suffering. So the environment will be clean and safe. Isaiah describes the restoration even of the animal kingdom. He writes, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. That's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture and Bible prophecy ever given as God reminds us that he's going to restore the world the way it was originally created in Eden. Now, you may hear all those images and say, I can't even comprehend the, the wolf and the sheep playing together and the, the cow and the bear eating together, or a, a child playing at the den of a cobra. I've seen cobras in India, and trust me, I would get nowhere near them. I've seen seen the snake charmers, but I've got nowhere near them when I watch them put on their show. I have a snake phobia, so in this life and in the life to come, I'm not going to be anywhere near a cobra's den. You know, Barbie and I watched a YouTube recently. It was a fascinating collection of these animals and the restoration of an animal with an owner that it once maybe trained them. It was fascinating to see one trainer that visited a giraffe she'd helped raise. And it's amazing how the giraffe remembered her and the affection they had. A camel with another trainer. They just laid in an open field and kind of cuddled each other. It was amazing. A man with a line, a big line, stood up over him when he saw the trainer come back he hadn't seen in years. He stood up and just hugged the man. It was absolutely incredible. So when you read this, you, you can't say that's far-fetched. It's not far-fetched. It actually goes on in small ways today. The complete restoration, God did not create mankind and the animal kingdom to be in hostility or for, even for us to hunt animals. We're not created to do that. But when Jesus returns, the environment will be restored to its natural order. And I love that last part that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You see, when we live by a relationship with God, and we live by biblical truth, then we're not going to fight. We're not going to have poverty. We're not going to have racism. We're not going to have division. We're not going to have evil. And when Jesus returns, we are going to be restored to life and righteousness and peace the way that we were created to live. Zechariah describes the environment of the millennium this way. On that day, there will be no light, no cold, no frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. 
On that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And that's the passage when he sees Jesus return from heaven at the Mount of Olives. He's describing in beautiful language a restoration of the planet. So governments are going to be controlled by the rule of Jesus Christ. And the environment is going to be clean and safe and restored to its natural order. And third of all, in the millennium, in this new world order of God, war will cease and peace will prevail. The armies of the world will lay down their weapons. Isaiah writes, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they, they train for war anymore. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 2, verse 4 and chapter 11 and verse 9. You see, the Prince of Peace will teach the nations of the world how to walk in the light of his love. Today, we see wars around our world, some that have just started recently, that are raging out of control. Politicians throughout history negotiate peace, talk about peace have arms treaties, nuclear arms treaties. And nearly every treaty ever made in human history, historians tell us, have been broken. In fact, one historian noted that in the entire history of civilization, the world has enjoyed a, about 100 years of peace throughout all of these thousands of years. But when Jesus returns, we're not going to train for war anymore. Some of you watching me were soldiers. Maybe today you're enlisted. We honor you for your service. The military is important in an evil world to restrain evil. But when Jesus returns, evil is going to be removed and mankind will live at peace. My father was in the Navy. He's told me about going where he trained in boot camp. I see that phrase. They'll not even have to train for war anymore. Think of that. So much peace that you don't have to have a military. Well, that world is coming. The Prince of Peace will govern the world in peace. Fourth of all, the Bible tells us in the millennium of the new world order of God that the law of God will govern the world. The words righteousness and peace describe the quality of life in the kingdom. Those two words together, righteousness and peace, and always in that order. You see, when things are right, they'll be at peace. Now, Isaiah describes the Messiah's reign that is fulfilled in Jesus when he said of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, Isaiah 9, verse 7. I'm sure you're familiar with that passage of Scripture. We often recite it at Christmas. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then he says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Righteousness always comes first because peace is the result of righteousness. Even in your own life, in your own family, when things are right with you, right with God, right with others, you're going to enjoy peace. You can't have peace until things are right. People try to pursue peace, pursue righteousness, and then you'll have peace. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. Peace is a byproduct of righteousness, right with God, right with others. When things are right, they are peaceful. Paul writes in Romans 5 and 1 that this applies to us personally in our own salvation. Since we have been justified, that means made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that when we believe in Jesus, God declares us righteous, then we have peace. Isaiah says the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance forever. Isaiah 32, 17, one of my favorite verses of scripture. 
The work of righteousness is peace. The effect, the impact of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Get things right and they'll calm down. Get things right, you'll have assurance, not fear. Get things right, you'll have peace. Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness. Look what comes next, peace and joy through the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. When you have righteousness, peace and joy, the result. James the Apostle writes the same truth. Get things right and you'll have peace. James 3, verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Fifth of all, the Bible tells us in the millennial kingdom when Christ returns, holiness will be the standard of life. Now, holiness means to dedicate something to God. It means to be special and sacred. Isaiah sees what he calls a great highway called the way of holiness in Isaiah 35, verse 8. Think about that. The next time you get on a a state highway or an interstate, what if it was called the way of holiness? Holiness means that we are devoted and dedicated to God and to Jesus as our Savior. Zechariah describes the new world this way. On that day, he means when Christ returns, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, on the cooking pots in the Lord's house, will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 20. Now, most of us don't have horses, but we have cars. But think about getting your car and across the dashboard, every car ever produces holy to the Lord. You know, when we, Barbie and I have ever gotten a new home, we've always started it with a dedication. I'm sure you've done the same thing. If you haven't, I would encourage you today to Get your family together and have a dedication of your house to the Lord. Make it holy and sacred to God, a place of peace. When we built the New Mount Perrin campus, we had dedication Sunday. We dedicated the building, the property. It's holy. It belongs to the Lord. Well, that'll be life in the kingdom. We'll all live a dedicated life. Everything we have will be dedicated to God. Finally, when we look at the description of the new world order, when Christ returns, worship will be the mood of the day. Now, I don't know how you're wired, but I'm wired very emotionally. In fact, I do so many things in my life motivated by how I feel, which works out great sometimes, but not always. So the mood of the day is an important thing to me. I like to wake up happy. I like to be energetic. I don't like to be around people that are really down or negative. That's not the way I'm wired. But I'll tell you, nothing will improve your mood better than worship, than just praising God and thanking God and thinking of the blessings of God instead of focusing on all the problems. Worship will be the prevailing mood of the day. All the world will worship the true and living God. The Bible tells us the people will say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord of the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem and the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there'll be one Lord in his name, the only name. Then the survivors, we read after the, this describes the battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty. That's found in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9 through verse 16. What an amazing description. One Lord gathering to worship, going to the house of God to hear the word of God. That will be the order of life 
the same way that you and I go to the house of God on Sundays and for different services, the same way that we'll open our Bible every day and go to the house of the Lord, even personally, have family devotions, wanting to hear the word of God, taking time in our lives personally. Our own bodies are a temple to worship the Lord. Think of everyone living like that, of that being the prevailing mood of the world. Well, that will be the world in which we live when Jesus returns again. His Christmas season, as I'm teaching this particular teaching, I go into restaurants and I hear the music playing, and every now and again they'll play Christmas music. But sadly, I have to say that I hear that less and less. I like the traditional Christmas songs as well, but Christmas is about Christ. That's what the word means, the celebration of Christ. And the world is better when we celebrate Jesus and we worship God. But when Christ returns, worship will be the order of the day. Jesus' return gives us hope for the future. I love the passage of prophecy in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul the Apostle says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the main point of the teaching of me sharing with you about Bible prophecy. It's to inspire you to look for the blessed hope of the return of Christ. And God will give you hope today if you trust him with all your heart and all your life. The greatest hope we have is the promise of eternal life because we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I pray today that you too have trusted Christ as your Savior, that you have experienced righteousness with God through faith in Christ, and as a result, that you live your life in peace. I pray that God will give you the continued grace as he does me to put things right in our lives, that we can enjoy peace in our families and our personal life, and we can be agents of peace when other people are in conflict as well. We have the kingdom of God in us today, and we're citizens of the kingdom, even though we're living in a world of conflict. When we go and help make things right, we become peacemakers in the world. Let's join together for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the glorious kingdom that will be here in all of its fullness one day when Christ returns. But we thank you that today the kingdom of God was within us because Jesus reigns in our hearts. And I pray that you'll empower us as agents of the kingdom to bring righteousness and peace to our families, to where the, we work and the place where we live, that through us, others will see Christ in us, the hope of glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me today. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to my podcast and share with others as well. Sunday's coming. I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family in church. We have an incredible day of worship planned. I trust that you'll be able to be with us. If not here on campus, certainly online as well. Invite someone to come to church with you. You know, support of the ministry is so important. And I want to thank you for your prayerful support and your financial support through tithes and offerings. If you've not yet started giving to support the ministry, your giving is needed and appreciated, and it really helps so many people here in Atlanta and around the world. And you can give online, go to the giving page. You can give on the Mount Perrin app. I trust that you'll find a place in your heart for Mount Perrin to say, I'm going to support the ministry. No matter where you are in the world and where you may listen to the podcast or watch the Bible studies and the services, I trust that you'll be a partner in ministry with us. I love you. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.
Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.